Good morning. It's great to see every one of you uh, this morning, each and every one. I know several have traveled into town this week, weekend. I hope you had a great time uh, while you're here and the weather cooperated with you. It's been a little wet around here for the past several weeks. You know, over the last few weeks, we've gone back in time and have been traveling with Jesus on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem during the last few months of his life, just a short time before his crucifixion and death. And this morning, we find Jesus has been in a place called Perea, just east of the Jordan River. And he has left this area and he has crossed over the river uh, Jordan and he is passing through into the town of Jericho one of the last venues before he reaches Jerusalem, where, where we will at least conclude our studies uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane. Shortly before he is to be tried and, and crucified, we know. And this will end a, a tremendous journey and his impact on people that he encountered and throughout many of his final teachings from his very short ministry on earth. And we'll see the unfolding and the revealing of of God's truths and promises to, to, this, to those people and, and also to us today. So as we set this story, let's take a look at what's happening as Jesus approaches Jericho. We know that earlier in Luke 18, Jesus had talked with a young rich ruler, and he had challenged him to sell all that he had had and give the proceeds to the poor. It said, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And of course, we know the response. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. You know, what a sad response to, to that question. But you know, we also see that that Peter also reminded Jesus of all the sacrifices he and the disciples had made. He said, look, Jesus, see all that we have left, all that we've left all and have followed you. And what was Jesus' response? He said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in the present time and in the age to come eternal life. You know, he was about to make an even greater sacrifice, and he knew it. It says that he then took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. And Jesus began to tell them the things that were happening. And what we see is a revealing of some of the Old Testament prophecies that we see, we'll see a recall of, in, of the betrayal in Psalms, in Isaiah 53, the prophecy of crucifixion. In Psalms, again, in, about the prophecy of resurrection. And Jesus began to tell them, again, these things that would, would happen. It said, For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. In the third day he will rise again. You see, he was delivering this message here because Jesus knew what lay ahead of him on his journey to Jerusalem. He was aware of the mockery and the pain and the shame that he was about to endure, but he carried on. And of course we read that the disciples really didn't understand what he was talking about. But we'll pick up now <clears throat> as Jesus again has crossed the River Jordan. Up there out to the left we see the uh, Mediterranean Sea. We see the Sea of Galilee. He has worked his way down the Jordan River. 
And he is somewhere in this area east of uh, the Jordan River, and he is making his way. And you'll see uh, here in just a little bit the path of Jericho. And I actually think I have it reversed. It's up there where the green is at. I drew the line a little bit wrong, <laughs> I've realized. He's about 20 miles outside Jerusalem where he's headed. But Jesus has crossed the river and he has entered into Jericho. And you see, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. Now Jericho was down in the valley. It's actually up in that green part. It was down in the valley of Jordan just a few miles west of the Jordan River, north of the Dead Sea. It was a city seen as an oasis. It was a little paradise with palm trees. It was lush and green. In fact, as I understand it, it was 800 feet below sea level. A very interesting oasis in the desert. Jericho was a city of trade, and it was known for prosperity on the road from Perea to Jerusalem. Lots of traffic would have passed through this area because there were roads that led to Damascus to the north and Caesarea to the west and Egypt to the south. So as we begin our study this morning, <clears throat> we read that Jesus had passed through into Jericho and there was this man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and a rich man. So who was this Zacchaeus? Well, we see he was a tax collector. You see, because of this natural location, it was a, it was a, or this location of Jericho, it was a natural place for one of the customs houses to be located and here we find Zacchaeus, not just a tax collector, but chief of all tax collectors. You see, back in the day, Israel was under the Roman control, and the Romans levied taxes, taxes upon the nations under their control, roughly to help finance their empire. And the tax collectors were paid this fixed amount of, of tax to Rome, but after that, they would have the ability to make themselves uh, rich by forcing the public to, to pay more in their taxes than what Rome required. And the Jews, of course, opposed these taxes because they uh, went toward the support of Rome's secular government. But nonetheless, they were required to pay these taxes. And so Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, a publican regarded as a, fair, as a sinner by, likely by the Pharisees. And his job was to make sure that all the other tax collectors under him were doing a good job taxing the children of Abraham. Verse 2, we read, he was a rich man. And we can likely assume that most of his riches were acquired off the backs of hard-working people through the abuse of his office and his title. So people like Zacchaeus were despised, hated, seen as traitors. And although he held power by office, he was likely considered a, a social outcast. People didn't enjoy him coming around. The fact that Zacchaeus was rich made it unlikely that he was a follower of Jesus, frankly. Because generally those who were rich in this time with, with the world's goods were less likely to become a disciple of Jesus. And in fact, most likely would have despised someone like Jesus. So we also read that Zacchaeus was small in stature. And so as Jesus was passing through town, he was unable to see him. You see, Jesus didn't come in riding on donkey or riding on horses and chariots and all that. He just wandered through the town. And I think it's interesting that the Scriptures give us a physical description that he was little in size. And he sought to see Jesus, who, who this Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. 
Why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? You know, these scriptures beg that question. Well, I believe simply, most likely, out of curiosity. It was probably important to see him, to see who this Jesus was that all all the talk had been about. Maybe he was anxious to see Jesus because he wasn't happy with the fact that he knew he was extorting taxes from people, undue taxes from people. Maybe it was his conscience. Maybe he was searching for something more noble and higher satisfaction for his life. Maybe he was not happy with the riches and wealth that he had accumulated as he, and thought that he might be with all that wealth. And that maybe he was tired of being seen as a traitor or an outcast. Maybe he recognized that money alone can't bring happiness. Maybe an instinctive desire to know more about things that, that would possibly affect his career as a tax collector. Something. Something that would give his life true meaning. Maybe, just maybe, this man Jesus could provide some answers. But I simply believe that a lot of it was out of curiosity. Well, whatever the case, he wanted to see him, but he could not. There was a huge obstacle in the way. It was the people. There, there was a crowd, and he was a short man. So what do we see Zacchaeus do? Well, he devised a scheme. It said, so he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now, the sycamore tree, as I understand, would be like a fig tree. It was a sycamore fig tree. It wasn't maybe the fruited figs that we eat, but it did produce uh, trees, and the farmers would use those figs to feed their animals. As I understand it, the tree had low-hanging branches, um, very leafy tree, but it was a, a tree that was easy to climb. This tree is actually a picture of what they believed to be the tree that, that Zacchaeus climbed. You see, the tree not only provided a great view, but also gave great cover, so he thought he wouldn't be seen by others. As this, here was this public and here was this chief of tax collectors, and he was going to have to go scurry up a tree to go see who was passing by. I guess he was really so anxious to see Jesus, he literally went out on a limb for him. <laughs> Maybe that's where that term came from. And guess what? As Jesus was passing by, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus. Now, interestingly, we can also see something here. The scriptures teach us that Jesus knows us by name. He just looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I want to be a guest and I want to stay in your home. Now think about that. He invited himself into this man's home. Wow, what an unexpected turn of events. You know, one of the things we see here is often that that it can be the very simple things that God uses to impact the lives of people. Just his curiosity and the fact that he had climbed this tree. And it's through this desire that God is about to use this opportunity to change the life of Zacchaeus. You see, notice Zacchaeus didn't say, Hey, Zacchaeus, hey, you sinner, you thief, you extortioner, you come down. I want to talk to you a little bit. No, he spoke to him frankly, but he did so kindly. And it says, He made haste and he came down from the tree, and that he was scared and he was filled and about, with what was about to happen. No, that's not what happened. It said he came down and he, with haste and he was filled with joy. It's the expression of thanksgiving. 
Not because he had been outed from hiding in a tree or that his lifestyle and his sins were about to be made an example of how he possibly treated others. But you can almost sense a relief that Jesus knew him by name and that he was so anxious to learn more about who this Jesus was. I think he was actually thrilled that someone actually knew his name and was coming to his house. And out of all people, it was going to be Jesus that, that would come to his house. You see, it may have been a long time since someone had, had lovingly called him by name and furthermore wanted to visit with him on friendly terms and invite him into his house. It may have been since he was a little boy since he had heard his name called so lovingly. But imagine the surprise that he had. But what do we see next? Hmm. Not everybody was so happy. Not everybody was so excited. You see, when the crowd saw what was happening, they began to plain. He's going to be a guest. Jesus is going to be a guest with this sinner. Are you kidding? The people couldn't understand. You see, Jesus had shocked the people of Jericho by inviting himself to be the guest of this notorious man in town. What people saw as a filthy, dishonest, greedy extortioner that he couldn't understand how Jesus would be able to desire to associate with such people. You see here again a point in this story. We can see what a classical reaction, not just from most people, but sometimes likely us. To God's undeserved grace to such filthy wretches. He should get what he's, what's coming to him. He doesn't love others. He loves only himself. He doesn't love God. But you know, Jesus had this reaction. He'd seen this reaction all throughout his journey from Galilee into Jericho. And it probably wouldn't be the last he'd see of it. You see, if we're true with ourselves, we too could see ourselves claiming that's not fair. We followed God for all these years and how could He give to others the same that He would give to us? Why would He go and do this? Why is He so interested in those that have rejected Him and treat others so unfair and have only been in, interested in, in building their own wealth and riches? You see, so many times our self-righteousness would claim that He deserves nothing but what is coming to Him. Condemnation. How could Jesus lower himself to associate with this kind of person? You know, it's important to remember here and that we can see here that God's salvation is offered to all people, not just those who appear to be followers of Jesus. But what we see here is Zacchaeus, he responded to the call of Jesus and he did so joyfully. You know, he may have had a lot of things going on in his mind, his heart was likely racing. But nonetheless, he and Jesus headed off to his house. You know, we don't really know what happened inside the house. There's, the story doesn't tell us a whole lot. But whatever it was, Zacchaeus must have been impressed. We're told that he stood up and he said, Here and now, I'm giving half of my goods to the poor. And then he follows, follows by promising to return anything he has falsely taken by others and give back four times the amount he has wrongly taken. Not just a 20% of giving back, but four times. That would be what a thief would give back in restitution. The way that this, this verse is awkward in its, in its statement, but the translation I think could be, if, which I know I have, 
have taken anything from anybody falsely, I'll pay back four times the amount. You see, what do we see happening here? Notice the immediate response of generosity, a real genuine desire to make things right and to correct past wrongdoings, a desire to, from this point forward, to make a change in his life. You see, this attitude reflects what we know as repentance. A change in the heart of Zacchaeus. This, from this day forward, I want to make things right. I want to make restitution. I think sometimes we can read this and it looks like he's been doing this all his life. This is, I think if you study this, this is really, this is a point of, a point of a change that he's making and a commitment. And what caused it? An immediate and sincere response from my heart made clear by the Spirit of God. No doubt Zacchaeus was probably guilty in his minds of injustice through his collection of taxes. You know, we're reminded here that, that wealth in and of itself is not an evil or something to be shunned or something to be ashamed of. In fact, the Old Testament, we often see that, that God rewards those unconditionally for those who respect Him with great wealth. Job and uh, Solomon, Hezekiah. Many, many people he rewarded with wealth. It is rather not only how we go about obtaining our wealth, but how we manage it that can have a bearing on our life and, and others and how God views us. You see, what really matters is our desire to gain eternal riches and our desire to have God call our name even when we don't feel we deserve it or, or expect it. And more importantly, that we answer that call and that we respond to the things that God calls us to do. You know, whether we have very little material wealth or whether we are, are wealthy like Zacchaeus, it's how we view our money, our possessions, that affects how we respect and view God who gives us all things. Have you ever known someone like our people who, like Zacchaeus, prior to, to meeting Jesus, you just know they seek to take advantage of others, seeking to build their domain? You see, are we interested only in ourselves sometimes with little, no, little to no concern for others? Or do we seek to use our riches in things God has blessed us with to do good for others, to seek to do good for others, to seek to help others, and in doing so enrich our own lives? You see, the response that Zacchaeus had was clearly what Jesus had intended to happen. And frankly, I think the crowd's response was probably what Jesus expected to happen. So how did Jesus respond? With good news. The fact that Zacchaeus was on his way to salvation. He he desired to become a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was wanting to be repentant of sins and make his restitution for his past wrongdoings. The heart of Zacchaeus had been softened by, by this invitation of Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus, because of his curiosity, had decided to learn more about Jesus. And in doing so, he not only got a great view of Jesus, he learned and he earned more than he likely ever thought he would when he climbed that tree. 
You see, his eyes were open to a life of the life he was living and the lack of contentment and, and happiness he had had. And by faith, he recognized now Jesus as this Messiah, this person that he desired to see who would be passing through town. And through his repentance, his life would now begin to have meaning and purpose. A life that now could be patterned after Jesus, including putting others' needs before his own. And now he too, it says, can be counted as a son of Abraham. The promise God had given to those that followed after him. And then finally we read in verse 10, Jesus clearly defines the major purpose of not just uh, his coming into Jericho, but this tour from Galilee to Jerusalem, but really the major purpose of his coming into this world. And that is the fact that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. If there is one message you take away from this morning, this is it. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He's looking for the curious. He's looking for those who want to know more about Him. He's looking for their response. Think about it. Had Zacchaeus initially sought Jesus, or was he just responding to his own curiosity? I don't know. Maybe some of both. But we clearly know Jesus sought him. It's what it says here. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus sought him as he called him by name. And he invited himself into his home and the life of Zacchaeus. But you know, Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, this, this defrauder, this extortioner, this sinner, he was ready to be sought. He was glad to have his name called. He was glad to receive the message that Jesus gave him in his home. He was ready and willing to answer the call. He was ready to make a change. So what are some of the things we can take away from this very simple message? Well, I tell you, no one is beyond obtaining salvation or beyond the power of God's grace to reach you. You see, we offer the gospel to the most, the gospel is offered to the most vilest and wicked of sinners. I would tell you, we see the compassion of Jesus Christ, our Savior, towards sinners and His power to change our hearts. No one is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness and grace and mercy, and He stands ready to save those who are ready to receive Him. One of the things we can take away from this is that a person who repents and seeks salvation will be a changed person and will genuinely seek to do good for others. You see, repentance involves a life, changing a life completely from the previous life. I think one of the takeaways are people with wealth shouldn't be condemned by their earthly wealth, but rather it is how they view their possessions and what they do with it that is important to God. Recognizing that it's not theirs to begin with, so we should be aware of how we view anything that God has blessed us with. Another thing I, we take away from this is I believe Zacchaeus 
did not know this was Jesus' last trip through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. You see, if Zacchaeus had been a procrastinator and had not satisfied his curiosity, the crowd's too big. I, I can't see him. I'll just wait to him to I'll just wait and see him next time he passes through town. Zacchaeus would have missed a great result of that day. You see, procrastination is an enemy. Satan loves the procrastinator. Imagine to be called by the name from Jesus. An invitation to host Jesus in your home and recognize, repent, and claim him. And making an eternal life-changing decision. And then from that point on, knowing that you have the ability to go share that good news with others and have an impact on their life in a way that you never had been able to before. That's what Zacchaeus experienced. You see, the fact is, the opportunity of getting things right with God doesn't always keep coming back day after day or month after month or year after year. The opportunity doesn't always present itself like we like to think. Yet many people go through life putting off their response to God's call. Next week, maybe by the end of the year, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get right with God when I can be more serious about it. There's just too many things going on right now. Folks, right now, sometimes never seems to come. It's just not convenient. I had a, had a person, I've known him for many years, gone to church with him over the years for, for many years, about my age. He still says it doesn't feel right. He says, it doesn't feel right yet. You know what my response to him was? It likely never will. But that won't change the need for it. You know, this kind of attitude is dangerous. Because just like Zacchaeus, not knowing this might be the last opportunity he would see Jesus, the same it is with us hearing and responding to the same call, the same invitation that Jesus extends to us today. You know, the people in Jericho probably would have written off Zacchaeus as a sinner. He's well beyond receiving the redemptive love of Jesus Christ. But you see, Jesus had not written him off. He seeks people like Zacchaeus. We need to be in the business of people, seeking people like Zacchaeus. You see, God's salvation is offered to all. And we should never give up on seeking to reach people, even if we think they're beyond hope. So this morning, are you hearing the call of Jesus? Have you heard it and you're just saying, I'm just not ready. Are you hearing it, but something's causing you to resist his plea? Is it fear? Is it just that it's not convenient? Are you not ready to make that change or commitment? 
See, I urge you, don't put it off. Be like Zacchaeus. If you are at all curious to know more and have a desire, the curiosity and desire to know more about Jesus, hear his call. Come and repent. Make good your wrongdoings from the past and receive him for life everlasting and his eternal riches that he provides to us. We offer the invitation. I thank you for your, com- uh, thank you for your uh, patience in my comments. If there's any way the church can serve, we ask you to come forward as we sing the song of invitation.